This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, March 11th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. North Korea has said the armistice ending the Korean War no longer applies. It would seem to be a threatening gesture aimed at restarting armed, possibly nuclear hostilities. Except for one thing, the North Koreans did the same thing in 2009 to no great fanfare. Doug Bandau, a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, argues that North Korea, for better or worse, is playing a weak hand very well. Well, North Korea is getting everybody excited. It's threatening nuclear war, talking about preemptively attacking the United States. It's threatening South Korea. It said the armistice no longer applies. So what we're seeing in many ways is standard North Korean behavior kind of on steroids, where they've long been threatening and now they seem to be hyper-threatening. And at some point, I think people are getting nervous. Now, is the fact that we don't know much about Kim Jong-un, is that at all playing into the calculus here in terms of being concerned about it or not being concerned about it? Well, what plays into it really is the fact that we don't know much about North Korea. And the fact it's been around for 50 years, we still don't know very much about it. And Kim Jong-un, he's the new guy. We don't really know if he's in charge. We don't know exactly who's calling the shots in North Korea. All of that's cause for concern. The primary reason, though, I think it's the Hermit Kingdom. It's a place we don't know very much about. Back in 1950, his grandfather started a war. These are people building nuclear weapons. You know, this is not a very pleasant place. What should the response have been to this news? It was presented as something particularly striking. Well, what's important to recognize is that back in 2009, they also said the armistice no longer applies. I don't know how many times you can say the armistice doesn't apply and have people get upset, but they've obviously figured, trotted out you know, the same rhetoric four years later. People have forgotten, and now they're going to get upset. Our best response, I think, is to yawn. I don't see anything about North Korea to suggest they're suicidal. He has no ability to preemptively attack the United States other than troops that are present on the Korean peninsula itself. If he started a war, he'd lose. He knows that. If he tried to use nuclear weapons, there'd be nothing left of North Korea after our retaliation. I don't think they're suicidal. You know, these are people who want their virgins in this life, not the next. Far better to dismiss him. It's a very popular narrative to say, though, that uh, that the Kim family is crazy. I don't think they're crazy at all. What they've done is they've played a very weak hand very well. He is in charge, or at least nominally in charge, of a country that's effectively bankrupt. It's a country that's very poor. It's a country that doesn't get much attention. No one would pay the slightest attention to it if it wasn't waving nuclear weapons around. So this is a place that simply doesn't matter in the sense of a normal country. They've managed to get on the front pages of every newspaper in the world. They're at the top of every newscast. They're smart. They're wily. They're evil. But I don't think they're crazy. And I think we do a disservice if we assume they're crazy. They're playing a very weak hand to get as much attention, money, extortion, any benefits that they can. Now, detail this armistice that uh, North Korea said twice now no longer applies. Well, back in 1953, after three years of war, the United States, China, and the two Koreas basically signed an armistice. Not a peace treaty, an armistice. It stopped the fighting. It stopped the fighting where it was when they were negotiating. That's the end of it. That's what the DMZ is today, the demilitarized zone. They were supposed to be followed by a peace conference, come up with a final peace treaty. That never happened. So effectively, the armistice ended the conflict in terms of the fighting. It did not actually end the state of technical state of war. So what he's threatening to do essentially is restart the war, if you take him at his word. Okay, so the war never officially ended. Exactly. The fighting ended. That is, the armistice stopped the fighting. But if you look at World War I, there was an armistice, and then they had peace negotiations and a final peace. It ended the war. No longer state of conflict. What you see in North Korea is we never went those next steps. One question that keeps cropping up in my mind, and I'm sure the minds of a lot of people, is sort of what can possibly 
uh, foment the end of the regime in North Korea in such a way that is not disastrous for the people there, uh, that is has as few disruptions in terms of transitioning them to something better. Well, the best hope, and this is what everyone looks for for leadership, is China. That is, one could imagine China behind the scenes working with figures that may be more pro-China and more pro-reform. In essence, people look at China as the model. That is, it's retained an authoritarian political structure. We don't like that. But they're not constantly threatening war. They're not waving nuclear weapons at everybody. They're not you know, talking about you know, returning to prior conflicts. And with some economic reform, you, know, you see the end of poverty. What you suddenly see within a country is those poor people are suddenly growing more middle class. It changes the whole structure within that society. I think that's probably the best case. That's what people hope for. Maybe that could be achieved if China would take a more active role. It could be achieved internally. I mean, we could see conceivably within this leadership, is there a Gorbachev? The problem is it's hard to see that today. What we see is a military-dominated regime. We see a regime that's kind of a family criminal syndicate, you know, where you've had you know, the grandfather, the father, now the son, and there's a lot of other family members floating around. So I don't have a lot of hope. On the other hand, a system, it's hard to see how it can be sustained. It's poor, it's a wreck, it's a mess. At some point, we assume that will end. We just hope it's not violent, messy, bloody. Now, we would hope that uh, China would have, with whom we have a great deal of, uh, of commerce and, and trade and, and other dealings, but they have treated those who have escaped from North Korea, they've returned them. And it seems like you would hope at least the United States would uh, take a fairly dim view of that policy of, of the Chinese government. Oh, yeah. The repatriation of North Korean refugees is awful because the North Koreans, when they're sent home, very often end up in prison camps. Some of them end up dead. Look, China takes – China is not interested in human rights. The reality is the Beijing regime is not concerned about the welfare of the North Korean people. The border provinces have ethnic Koreans. China is worried about kind of social problems there. It's worried about political problems. They want stability in North Korea. They're worried about refugee flows that may destabilize the regime. They want a good relationship with North Korea. They want stability. They look at this as they want a buffer state. They don't want a U.S. allied United Korea with American troops on their border. Unfortunately, they just take a very, very practical view here. I think we can, might be able to turn them around. We need to talk about interests that they might have, how we can protect those interests, and why they might be served by a united Korea. But right now, they just don't care about the human rights aspect. It's quite ugly. So a unified Korea with essentially South Korea calling the shots would uh, extend the current U.S. troop presence into North Korea, which China doesn't want. Uh, so in, in some sense, is, is our presence in South Korea – uh, preventing China from being more direct with the North Koreans? I think that our presence in South Korea is probably inhibiting China, being willing to take some risks. And I think one thing we could do is to tell them, we promise, don't worry, those troops are coming home. They won't be on your border. I think we need to kind of, they're concerned about refugee flows, about the cost. They're concerned if they might have to send troops in if the North Korea collapsed. These are things we should all bring up and say, look, we just want to see this evil North Korean regime gone. We're quite happy to work with you. We're not going to cause you trouble if you take steps that are useful in terms of ending this regime. Is there any indication that that type of sort of, I guess, plain talk between the United States and China is moving forward? I haven't seen any evidence of it. Now, this is the sort of thing, of course, you should do privately if you do it. Of course. You don't want to hold a public conference. But unfortunately, I haven't seen any indication that we are doing so. There's a tendency, I think, of the U.S. to lecture. 
We tell them what we think. We kind of order them around. That does not go over very well in Beijing. Doug Bandow is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.